Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. As avid sports fans, you know the importance of a good playbook, and that's why the experts at Vaco and Morgan Franklin Consulting created the Trends in Transformation Survey Report. It's based on feedback from over 160 business leaders across all industries. This ebook will quickly become your guide on how to thrive in the year ahead. It features insight into how today's leaders are approaching business transformation this year, including their most concerning barriers and challenges and the way they're adjusting their transformation strategies. Everything you as a business leader need to know about the current outlook on business transformation, like the talent shortage, implementing new technology solutions, and improving digital capabilities. It's right here in this guide. Let Vaco and Morgan Franklin Consulting coach you up with their Trends in Transformation ebook. Head over to vaco.com slash helipod to get your ebook today. That's vaco.com slash helipod. Free ebooks for everybody. Who couldn't use that? All right, it's the Helipod, post-Super Bowl week edition with Maurice Jones-Drew. Let's go. All right, there he is. Maurice Jones-Drew up in the Bay Area, was down here for Super Bowl Sunday. You are looking spry, you're looking svelte, and you're looking refreshed, my friend. Yeah, I look none of that. I look exhausted. <laughs> and I was, as I should have been. Um you know, it's funny because this, 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 uh, sorry about that. I got crazy dogs and cats running around here. Everybody's barking. And you have multiple dogs and cats. Yeah. I got two dogs, two cats. That's a lot. dude. It's a lot. But anyways, um, you know, two weeks of studying wasn't enough. Then I worked, uh, all obviously Super Bowl week, which wasn't bad, but it was Sunday that worked me that 14 hour, 15 hour <laughs> Sunday was tough. Uh, slept all day Monday. My boys were in town, so we hung out a little bit throughout the week. Then when I came back here, had no time, Dan, to celebrate a world championship. No time at all. I, I literally had to come home and be dad right away. And I've been at track practice and football practice the last two or three days. And we're going to Vegas tomorrow for a football tournament. There you so, go, brother. Yeah, it, it doesn't stop. It doesn't Dad stop. Mode. No, Dad it never mode does. Is, is, is ready to go. So that's what we're, that's what it's all about. Well, we saw, I don't know if you saw, cause you were probably in dad mode, but I'm sure you saw some clips from the, from the championship parade yesterday. Thought it was very unfair, by the way, there were a few videos that were circulating on the internet. Uh, I don't know when they shut the video, 7 a.m. in the morning, three hours before the parade, there were like four people on the parade route. There, there were actually, 
once they started the parade, it took a little while to build up steam, but there was a pretty decent crowd when they got to the Coliseum. And it was a classic, you know, everybody's having a good time. They get up to the podium, let's go, you know, type of thing. It was cool to see. I was happy for uh, Sean McVay. As you know, we're both big fans and, and, and friends with him. Um, Les Snead went all in and it certainly paid dividends. Matthew Stafford took him 13 years to get here. Uh, didn't win a single um, playoff game. And now he is uh, he's a Super Bowl champion. So it was cool to see all of that. I, I don't want to uh, I don't need to break down the play by play of the of the parade with you. But I will say this. And you when I talked to you, I said, what, what's going on with this McVeigh retirement talk and this Aaron Donald retirement talk? And um, they seemingly quickly put that to bed when McVeigh uh, got Aaron McDonald to say he wanted to run it back. You, you were never buying any of that, were you? No, not at all. I mean, listen, I get it. You know, there's a thing called leverage in contract negotiations. That's that's a that's a lever that you can pull. But Aaron Donald's only been in the NFL eight seasons, right? You expect him to play clear into his 30s, right? Sean McVay is only 36. You expect him to coach, you know, if he loves coaching or, you know, you expect him to coach again. I mean, he's, he's a tremendous coach, a guy that, you know, they, they kind of skinned the cat a different way. But I, I think to you know, his job was to be able to get all these superstars and get them all to be unselfish, right? To get these superstars and to coach them up, to get these superstars and, and get them the ball in, in certain situations and make sure that they're happy and they're all content in what they're doing. On top of still trying to get his guys the ball that he drafted, right? So he did a tremendous job and it's different. People are like, oh, can they do it again? Dude, they, they've won. He's won every year. I don't think he's ever had a losing season. He's only missed the playoffs once since being a head coach. Like, I don't know what you want from him. And so for me, he's a tremendous coach. Um, I think that you you still go, right? Because you, you just got a taste of what it's like. Now you want another one. And you want to you be considered the greatest coach of all time. You got to go get six. And I think that's what he <laughs> wants to go do, right? And to me, that's that's what you're chasing now. Like, you already got your first one. Now it's time to go get a couple more and be considered the greatest of all time. And, and how do you do it? And so they're going to have to find different ways to do it. Um, but I think for him, it's, 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 it's easy. And for Aaron Donald, it's, it's the Tom Brady effect. Like what's the, what's the best ring? The next one, I want to go get another one. And I know they're, they're happy. The first one's always exciting because you got it and you're like, yeah, we won, but they want to go back and get another one. And so as, I, as they I, should. I, and that's what I say, I, as you should. I, I deserve more rings, too. Shit. I, I've been I worked way too hard not to get multiple rings. You know what I'm saying? So you'll uh, get a ring now, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I won't be the same one as them, obviously, but it'll be it'll be something similar. Will you wear it on TV for sure? So you're a, you're a broadcasting Super Bowl champion. I mean, there's not many of us out there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> one of one of one of few. Right. And I, that's one thing that no one. No, not a lot of people I know can do that. You know, don't have some of those. So it's all good. I wonder if the Titans won a Super Bowl if they'd give me a ring. Uh, possibly. I think they should. Yeah, not on the season, not on the season long broadcast crew, but the preseason broadcast crew. Yeah. You were there. You helped. You were part of it. You and I could be broadcasting Super Bowl champions if that were. Yeah, but the first. Titans can't do it because they got they got some guy at quarterback that ain't. Oh, ain't stop, fit. dude. He's not stop. ready for it yet. I'm just being honest with you. Let me ask you this about McVay. 
because I agree. It was funny. We were doing, uh, I did a, a Mountain West basketball game with Casey Jacobson the other day. There's a guy named Tim Miles, who's the coach at San Jose State, which has been one of the worst basketball programs in the nation. And Tim Miles has been in a lot of different places. He was most recently at Nebraska. And then he got into TV for a couple of years, working for Fox Sports One and Big Ten Network. And he said his blood pressure was actually higher when he was doing TV than when he was coaching. And for whatever reason, he felt more stressed out doing TV, which I don't think is the norm, but you got to figure out what makes you tick. And I think for a lot of coaches, the, the TV grind, and it can be a grind if you want to do it well, is still very different than the coaching grind. And I don't know that it's, you, you get the same satisfaction from it's listen, overall, there's no doubt if you're going to do a Monday night football package, a Thursday night football package, do what Gruden was doing. It's way easier than running an organization, right? And you can make really good money doing it. But I feel like that's always going to be there for McVay, just like it would always be there if he goes to TV and wants to come back. But if you're him, give it another decade. And by the way, the whole, hey, he wants to spend some time with his family. You know, he's not married yet. He's getting married. I'm sure they're going to have kids. Just pro tip for our buddy McVay, best time to be out of the house is that like zero to five-year-old range and then come back in when they're ready and they can talk. And they can function, you know, that's just, well, I'll, I'll say this too, Dan. I mean, this is the funny thing. Like when I first started doing the Rams games, I used to get all caught up in the emotions because I'm so used to dictating the outcome of games. Right. Like if you give me the rock, I got, I have a say so in how this game is going to go. If it's going to be close, if we win, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's the same with coaches. Right. And so you're saying uh, the, the coach, he, he his bro, cause he doesn't have a say so in the game. He didn't practice. He didn't prepare the guys, right? He didn't give them the speech. He didn't do all the things. He can't make adjustments on the side. And so that messes with you a little bit. And, mm-hmm. and like what is able to give me that, that fix that itch is that I coach football. Like I coach high school football and I coach youth football, right? Because at the end of the day, I still have to be able to, to have some type of um, some type of position that's going to allow me to dictate the outcome of games. If I'm a coach, you know, some guys like we heard Eric Weddle, he played pickup basketball leagues, right? Like you still want to compete and have that that ability to, to dictate the outcome of games. And TV doesn't allow you to do that. It doesn't allow you to compete uh, in, in that process. But so I like for everyone's different. Like I decided I was like, listen, I'm going to coach my, my oldest son's team and we're going to prepare like we're in the pros. We're going to watch <laughs> film. We're going to study. We're going to run red zone offense and have a different thing for different things. By the way, we got to talk about the Super Bowl because there's some issues there that we need to handle out and, and why some people are ready and some people aren't um, for the big situation. But you have to be you have to be able to think about all those situations. And, and so, yes, I'm not out there crossing the lines, but I'm able to prepare a group of 14 year old boys or 18 year old boys now to go out there and play their best. And that that's a Saturday that 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 scratches the itch more than just broadcasting, right? And just call the game. Uh, and so that, yeah, that's a big part of it. I think actually, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I think I'm going to go to my high school too and say, hey, we should get some kids to broadcast the games and we could just stream it, right? And give them reps. And that that could be something, you know, that that's new, that may be new to our era uh, and help these kids out. So we'll see. I'm trying, I'm, trying to br- I'm trying to branch out and start new things. I love that idea. That's uh, that's tremendous. And they, there's so much access now 
at these high schools for broadcasting to do so much more than, than we did when we were coming up. As for the game, I didn't want to delve too deep because there's a million podcasts out there that are like breaking down the game. And I was trying to spin it forward a little bit, but listen, you were one of, I don't know, maybe 10 people that were, that I was thinking about this the other day that actually called that game, right? You had, you had the Cincinnati radio team, the Rams radio team, which you're a part of Uh, you had Al and Chris, of course, Yep. Um, and then you had the international feed, which I think was Charles Davis and I and Eagle. Was that, was that them this year? They, they did one of them. They did one of the international feeds. Okay. There's two so, of them. Right. So there's, there's 10 or 12 people. So you, you were, you were calling that game. You were more in tune with that than anybody, the other uh, hundred million people that were watching that around the land. Obviously the, uh, the defensive line, offensive line matchup, uh, favoring the Rams heavily as we thought going in came to fruition. And, and that was a huge part of it. Well, it did because they came out on shotgun so much, right? Joe Mixon was breaking runs off at a clip. That was amazing. He, he looked was good. Getting, he was killing them, and they just stopped running the ball. And and I always, you know, this is when, and this is no disrespect to Zach Taylor because he did an awesome job, and he came out and spoke on this. But that third and one, to give the ball to Samaj P. Ryan was very disrespectful, and it wasn't well thought out. For two reasons. You're talking about the third and one when Aaron Donald stuffed them. Yeah. You don't ever, you don't do that. Right. And that, and, and this is where you uh, sometimes it's like, well, this guy deserved it. Who cares if he deserved it? We're here to win games. Right. You put your best player in when you're about to run the ball and you give him a chance to, to run the ball and get it going. Right. And to me, that's the difference. Right. I get people say, like, oh, he deserved this or he, he earned that or no. If he's not your best player, remember there's no there was no tomorrow. They're like literally that was it. I'm not gonna go out there with my second best player at the right. position, or I'm not gonna go out there like you didn't take Jamar Chase off and throw a go ball to Morgan Stanley, who the who's a gunner, who's a receiver. It makes no sense, right? I thought that was a pivotal point in the game because when you watch them line up, I'm like, well, it's third and one. They're gonna run the ball like they'll probably get it but they didn't have Joe Mixon in it. And I was like, that's not a good thing to do, right? Samaj P. Ryan hadn't played well all day, and I get it. He's your two-minute back, but that's another problem. Like He's probably a better pass blocker than Joe Mixon, who gave up a couple sacks in the game. I understand that. But if you're going to get guys out on routes, Joe Mixon is one of the best route runner running backs there is in the National Football League. And, and to me, you have to know what call that you're going to call two plays before that in the Super Bowl. You have to know, like, look, we're going to run the ball. If we get to 31, fourth and one, we're going to throw the ball. I got to get my best player out there. And th- that, to me, was the difference between Sean McVay and Zach Taylor. Was it also was it also maybe Sean McVay essentially was Zach Taylor the first time around? In the exactly. Super Bowl. So maybe that was the learning experience that he had filed away. And now in the second go round, he was he was a better coach. Well, because think about this. Cooper Cup didn't touch the ball for like two quarters until that last drive. And I remember right before the last drive, it, it might have been like six minutes and like 38 seconds left. And I was like, yo, this is it. <laughs> like, they have to score here. If they don't score here, it's over. Sean's about to be 0-2. They're going to have to do some rethinking, some retooling. Like, And, the, and JB Long, the, my broadcast partner, was like, well, what do you do on this drive? So you find a way to get your best player the ball as many times as possible. That's what you do. That's all you got to do. He's the best player at his position in the National Football League. You get him the ball as many times as you can. 
and it was that fourth and one. Then they got it started. They got him on fourth and one. And then all of a sudden he got the first down. And then it was like Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup, touchdown. You know what I'm saying? He mm-hmm. scored twice on that drive, too, by the way. And so to me, that is what on top of a bunch of other penalties that weren't called and were called. And he got that, smacked. Oh, he got smacked. smacked in the end zone. Yeah, but this this but that was the difference. If Joe Mixon is your captain, see, and that's where and, and this is where this is where I've come to realize when you call plays. There's a there's a terrific balance in calling plays. You try to do a 60-40 player to scheme, if that makes sense. And I'll break it down a little bit more. Meaning, I'm going to put my best player in position to catch touch the ball as much as possible over my scheme saying, well, I'm just going to run this, this play out there with whoever's out there, if that makes sense. And so I think that's what Sean McVay realized when they played the Patriots, right? Who caught that Paul that put the Patriots in the in the game? Like they were up six three, and they threw a deep pass, and they got him down to like the two yard line. Was it Gronk? Gronk. Okay. Tom threw it to Gronk, and he was double covered. But guess That's what? Right. Players, you get the ball to your best player in those situations, and that and that to me, that's the difference of coaching. And it's and I'm not here to be critical on Zach Taylor or anything like that, but that's a learning lesson to understand that. When you get if you if you get into this situation again, you're better off giving the ball to your best player. Period. I remember being in Jacksonville. We were playing Cleveland. We got on the goal line. We lost because we we threw the ball three times in a row. We got on like the two yard line, and I literally scored like twice already from like the five. And when we came to the sideline, I went to Jack and I was like, I was like, Coach, no, I, we might. I think we won. I don't know if we won. No, we lost. I think we lost this one. But I remember going to the coach. I'm like, coach, like, I thought I was the best player on the team. And he was like, you are. I'm like, why am I not touching the ball then? Like, <laughs> like, let's live and die with what we do best, right? If I'm your best player offensively, we should live and die with what we do best. Who cares if they know? We just have to execute better. And not that they're thinking about this in the moment, but they certainly think about this ahead of time in terms of what they're, how they're going to answer questions at the podium. And it's a pretty simple answer. I gave the ball to my best player and it didn't work out. Right. So I'll, and, and by the way, I would do it again. And, and that's a, that is a very, but when you overthink it, you do all these things. Now, Zach Taylor, cause I guess the running back coach was like, do you want Joe Mixon in? And Zach was like, no. Now you have to answer this question of why didn't you want your best player in? And then right. you have to give us the, well, we thought he was red. We felt like he or he earned it. Like, no, man. Like that's when it, so coaching youth football, Dan, and you know this, and I hope our listeners do, you have minimum play guys, right? Guys that are, you know, maybe not as talented as others. Um, they have specific roles. Um, we don't, we didn't do special teams as a role. Some teams, most teams do put them on special teams. And then like, they kind of get their plays. We didn't do that. One, I, I didn't think they deserved that. And two, you know, I felt like offensively we could we can put guys out there, we could move the ball. Um, well, in certain games where we're blowing teams out, they they play the whole time, right? If we think it's not gonna be a, we may get a series to our starters, or maybe not. We let them play. So they play like three or four full games. But those guys understood because the way we practice and how we practice that your role is is, is important or more important than the guy getting the ball, because in order for him to score your job, you have to do your job. You have to block or run your route the right way or whatever it may be. And so I remember in our championship game for our little kids, we had this, this guy, 
Uh, his name is James Barnett, the third. James Barnett was like our fourth receiver, solid. His job all day was to block the safety. That's a, Anytime you're in, James, you go and block the safety, bro. If you block the safety, we'll blow, we'll, we will blow this team out. He missed one block on the safety. The safety tackled our runner for like a 10-yard gain. After that, Dan, we scored six times. And his job was to block the play size safety. And every time he blocked them, bro, we were to the house. It was like, it was like Alex. We were just running. And I told him at the end of the game, I said, bro, like we won because you did your job. Like you had one of the hardest jobs. They're the two teams we played had they're had probably the best two safeties in the game in our league. And his job was to block them every time. His role was huge, right? And so for Samarze P. Ryan, I, I bring it back to him. His role was to pass block. If you're running protections where he's pass blocking, awesome. Keep him in there. But the guy that was running the ball the best, the guy that probably should have had 10 more touches in that game was Joe Mixon, who was creasing the Rams. He was great. I mean, he he was, I don't know, he had three or four chunk runs. I felt like when he was, there were first down runs. And I said, uh-oh, this this could be trouble. Oh, and I said, I said, if they don't stop this, I was like, I'm t- I know this kid. If they don't stop this, <laughs> he's just going to get more confident and harder to tackle as the game goes on. Your Bay Area guy, and Another, they literally uh, and they podcast. literally stopped giving him the ball. I was like, "Oh my God, what is going on?" So, you know, at the end of the day, um, I think it's a learning lesson. But always remember this: players over plays, and that's the one thing I tell you. The Patriots did better than anyone. Players over plays. They well, they made the sure that we hear all the time, right? Coaches need to adjust the scheme to the players. It's essentially saying the same thing. Players over plays keeps it a little bit uh, a little bit simpler. All right, let me ask you, in terms of the the Bengals, it, it's been an interesting narrative. It, it started shortly after the game was over, where all of a sudden I was hearing a lot of these national pundits say, "This is it. Like the Bengals may not be back here again. This could be like Dan Marino in his second year. You know, they exceeded all realistic expectations this year. They're in a really tough division. The Ravens aren't going to get any worse." The Browns might be the most talented team in the division with five pro bowlers. I know you don't like their quarterback, but they have a lot of talent on that roster and Pittsburgh. If they get a quarterback, they could be better. Right. So everything kind of fell right for Cincinnati this year. Are, are you buying that they have a lot of work to do to get back here or they're trending in the right direction? If they can just fix that old line and maybe get a little help in the defensive backfield. This is the thing. You, you have to go through Mahomes. You have to go through Josh Allen. You have to go through. There's a lot of guys. Possibly right. Deshaun Watson. You got to go through your division, you know. Um, and, and, and what I and what I'll, I'll say this, the AFC North is getting back to being the AFC North. And the, the NFC West has been the toughest division of football the last couple of years. So if you can get through your division, you, you could possibly do it again. You can make a run again. See, the problem is this, though. Next year is the next year is always tough for the team that loses the Super Bowl. Always tough. One, because you played so late in the year, you picked so late in the draft, right? You probably spent a lot of money, like we said, the Bengals spend on their defense. So they got to find a way to go get some new guys. And, you know, I, I just, the AFC is much different than the NFC, too, by the way. The AFC has a ton of young QBs. The NFC, not so much. They're losing a lot of their QBs right now. But they, the AFC has a, if you think about it, I want to say, which you got Lamar Jackson, you have Deshaun Watson, possibly, you have Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, 
Derek Carr. Like that that's already just a a rough, a tough that's six dudes you got to go through. Did you say Burrow? Oh, you oh you were just saying who Burrow I'm saying for the ba- for the Bengals. Yeah. Hey, and by the way, like you didn't even say the Patriots or Mac Jones. No. Like, you know, so I I mean, who knows what Mac Jones is gonna become, but I, I couldn't that's another him. one. I mean, he would I know he didn't have a Pro Bowl season. It's a little different now, but like, dude was playing in the Pro Bowl as a rookie. Like, I don't care how you get there. He went to the playoffs as a rookie. Yeah, yeah. Like they, that's what I'm saying. Like you, you got a tough that that the AFC is tough to deal with with and, quarterbacks. And you know who you didn't even talk about because everybody slept on him because they were so shitty this year. Trevor Lawrence is going to be a legitimate NFL quarterback at some point. At some point, if they can get yeah. that things going there. Uh, yeah, you didn't seem too confident about that with your old Jags, but listen, man, I, I, I'm one of these guys. I'm going to be honest with you. I got to see Doug. I got to see the Jim bulky Doug Peterson thing work out before I jump on the bandwagon. Before I jump I on that track. I have faith in uh, Doug Peterson. I do not have faith in Trent. Well, there you Sorry. have it. Um, all right. One last thing, buddy, before I let you go, O'Hare is going to come on with us, uh, after the break. So I don't have to keep you for too long. I appreciate you getting up early. Um, I'm headed to dude. Seriously. We're gonna hook up in Vegas if we can make this work. Cause I'm yeah. working. You're you're doing a little coaching, but uh, we'll we'll see if we can get out to uh, have a nice dinner to, uh, tomorrow night or something. Yeah. Um, okay. I want you to. I, I'm, I was asking I was asking O'Hara this question, so I, I'm gonna ask you both. I want you to just to rank these storylines as as the number one storyline. Okay. I'm gonna give you a few options here from the Super Bowl. All right, McVeigh, the youngest coach to win at 36. Cooper Cup, the second wide receiver in 13 years to win Super Bowl MVP after an unbelievable season. I can reel off the numbers if you want. 178 catches, over 2,400 yards, 22 touchdowns, postseason included. Aaron Donald cements his GOAT status on the defensive line with uh, MVP-worthy play in the second half of this game. Eric Weddle, okay, this is a slept-on storyline. Coming back after two years off, played every snap in the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl. Played with a torn peck, tort early. I think he was trying to tackle Mixon, but you could see he was down for a minute. And then Andrew Whitworth, the oldest player in the National Football League after Tom Brady retired, wins a Super Bowl at 40 years old. Okay, so what's the number one storyline for you? I'll give you two. Give me one and two. Out of um, I think, I think so. I would I would say Weddle, and the reason I would say Weddle is. McVay's always been the youngest at everything at, to this point, youngest of 50 wins, youngest to be in a Super Bowl, youngest to win the Super Bowl. He's all, that's that's kind of his his deal because he, he right. got into coaching so young. Um, Aaron Donald, we already knew he was the GOAT. This is this just kind of put it made put all the other, I guess, haters to bed. Right. Cooper Cup, great year. But to me, to play a game with a torn peck. Not only to play a game with a torn peck, to be retired. To come off the bench or come out, come out off the couch to play in it in the NFL in the playoffs, and the defense got better. See, that's what people feel to realize. Eric Weddle got out there, the communication got better. They blew out the Cardinals right away. They 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 were destroying the Buccaneers until the offense started fumbling the ball and they started having some things to confuse Jimmy G and the Niners and do what he was able to do in that game. This is all because Weddle was able to communicate with guys and get guys set. Then to, to have the green dot. See, this is the thing. This is what people don't understand. Eric Weddle called the defense. That's why he couldn't come off the field. He was the only one that could call the defense because they wanted 50 to run around and play. 
So he had to call the defense. So he has the green dot. He tears his peck, the eighth play of the game, trying to tackle Joe Mixon, but he can't come off the field because then your whole defensive scheme is messed up, right? And this happened against the Niners in week 18 where Fuller goes out and Jalen Ramsey has to call the defense from the cornerback position. That doesn't work, right? Gives him some big plays, game over. He was able to – so think of all the studying he had to do, all the checks that he had to be able to have, all the communication he had to do while your peck is torn, still making tackles and coming up in the game. Like, to me, that is insane. And then he didn't go to the parade. He didn't do anything because he missed the last five weeks with his kids, so he went back to hang out with them. I didn't even realize he wasn't at the parade. No, he went home. Where does he live then? San Diego? Yeah. He went back home to kick it. So he has to get surgery, rehab his stuff up. He'll be back. He obviously won't be back, but he'll be fine playing dad again. Right. But I mean, that's, that's, that's a, a story. story. I'm that glad he, you said that because I, I, I kind of agree. I mean, definitely the most underrated storyline. What he did was to take two years off. I don't care if you're 30 or you're 40, but to come back after two years and be thrust into playoff football on that level and play like he did is Crazy. amazing. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, and then, like I said, he, this is what people have to realize. He's so smart that he came right back in a defense that he'd never been in because he played with Wade Phillips. He didn't play in this new Brandon Staley, Raheem Morris defense to learn it and then be able to call it and communicate and get all the checks to it. That's a whole different level of nonsense that you have to deal with as well. It's not like he's just out there playing. Yeah, that was that was pretty amazing. Um, all right, MJD, get to Vegas safe. You're there yes. for a little for a little uh, coaching some youth football. I'm there for uh, UFC, and then uh, headed to Sun Valley where I'll be doing a little skiing with the family and some friends. Um, and they haven't had any snow since Christmas, so there will probably be a lot of sparks flying off my skis in the rocks since there's not a ton of snow there. It's all that man-made snow. I know. That's what we're going to have to be working with, my friend. Um, always a pleasure. We're going to take a quick break here. MJ, hold on. Uh, MJD, hold on. I want to talk to you after this. Quick break uh, for a message from our sponsors, then back with Sean O'Hara. Viore is a new perspective on performance apparel. Everything from Viore is made for peak performance in a workout environment, but it's styled for everyday life. Cool gear that allows you to look good and feel good, whether you're sweating or pounding away on that keyboard or just bouncing around town. If you're not already on the Viore train, you know what? There's plenty of room. We're going to let you on right now, friends. All kinds of gear to keep you warm in the winter. You know about the staples that I love, like the core shorts with the built-in liners, the Sunday joggers for the ladies and the dudes, the performance tees, perfect for working out. It's all at vioriclothing.com slash helipod. That's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com slash helipod. Greens Plus has been a leader since 1989, known for creating the first ever blended green superfood powder and the first company to infuse green superfoods into a bar. Greens Plus bars and powders taste great, and they're the most effective way to improve your immunity, detox your body, boost your energy, and get the nutritional insurance that your body needs from organic, gluten-free, premium green superfoods. It's available at Whole Foods, Amazon, or greensplus.com with free shipping. And 
I encourage you to get the wild berry superfood powder. My teenage son loves that, putting that in his protein shakes. Uh, the vanilla protein powder, pretty good as well. Try it all today. Uh, the bar's outstanding. I'm actually going to go get some right now after I uh, finish with O'Hara coming up. Try it today. We're going to give you 20% off. Promo code HELLI, H-E-L-L-I-E, greensplus.com. And with that, we are back with Sean O'Hara. As promised, here he is, the man, the myth, the miracle. Pulling like full-time, 40-hour work week, Sean O'Hara on Good Morning Football. Have you been on every day? Uh, every day this week, except for Monday, Helly. Uh, and I tell you what, the, the the big turnaround was being in LA all last week. The time change, and we did Good Morning Football last week. And I remember before I'm heading out, I'm like, hey, I'm just curious, what's the pickup time? What's the call time for Good Morning Football on the West Coast? Because it's show starts at 7 a.m. East Coast. They're like, yeah, we'll be picking you up in the lobby at 2:30. Um, <laughs> so close out the bar tab, head to the lobby. Got it. Go to work. Um, yeah, so that was that was fun coming back with the time change. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's, it's been a fun week, but everybody's kind of still running on, on the uh, Super Bowl high, so it's been a lot of fun. Well, speaking of the Super Bowl high, yeah, Sean McVay was kind of saying the same thing. You always feel for those guys who they've they've been partying all night and they're they're up early doing those national interviews and stuff. Uh, not going to ask you to break down the game because I know you've been doing that all week on Good Morning Football. It's a little later in the week too, and every podcast in America has been doing that. But I do want to give you a few storylines. We just had MJD do this. Okay, I want you to pick one or two that resonate with you. Okay, Sean McVay, youngest coach to win the Super Bowl at 36. Mike Tomlin also 36, but he was an older 36. He was closer to 37. Cooper Cup season. He's the second wide receiver in 13 years to win Super Bowl MVP. Uh, maybe the best season ever by a wide receiver when you include the playoffs. Five touchdowns, 417 receiving yards in the postseason. Okay, wow. so you have McVay, Cooper Cup. Aaron Donald kind of secures his GOAT status. I know we use that term loosely, MVP-worthy playing in the second half of that game. Two of the ones I really like that I don't think anybody's talking about. Eric Weddle comes back after two years off to play every snap in the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl with a torn peck after that tackle on Mixon early on, which is ridiculous. And then your guy, Andrew Whitworth, wins a Super Bowl at 40 years old He's the oldest player in the National Football League right now after the retirement of Tom Brady. All right, so McVay, Cup, Donald, wow. Weddle, Whitworth, one or two that really resonate with you. So much to unpack in the Super Bowl. And I think I'll just start off with like a big general statement. Like the Super Bowl's in L.A. And before the Super Bowl, it's like, man, hey, the stars are going to be out. And it's like it's Hollywood. You know, the weather's great. It was like 85 degrees. Like everything was perfect. And the one thing I think everybody hopes is that the Super Bowl is a good game. Like I remember thinking back in high school and it was like Tyson Holyfield or, or, or these big time heavyweight boxing matches. And it was pay-per-view and you pay a hundred dollars for the fight and it would last 35 seconds. <laughs> like, Dude, Tyson knocked him out in the first round. Like, well, I want my money back. Like, the worst. Like, and then the game was a dud or the fight was a dud. So I, I think LA on every single level, it, it, it was a home run. I mean, it, it was phenomenal. The game was phenomenal. Leading up to it, the parties, the, the weather, I mean, the traffic, you know, was tough. Um, it felt like every day was the parade in L.A. Of course. Were, 
But I felt like the Super Bowl in LA, it, it was as promised. It was as advertised. The game was as advertised. I mean, it started out, Rams got the lead, and you're like, oh, my gosh, they're, they're, are they going to run away with this? And then the Bengals in the second half, they're like, wow, Cincinnati's going to win this game. That's what you want in a Super Bowl. Both teams, you know, jockeying, going blow for blow, and the game came down to the wire. So um, the halftime show was a hit, too, um, you know, and, and the, the stadium was phenomenal. That was my first time in SoFi. I text my wife. I said, this is the most beautiful stadium I've ever seen uh, from, from top to bottom. You feel like you're walking around Disney world. It's, it's like a resort. Um, so from that standpoint, phenomenal. Um, and then storylines, look, Andrew Whitworth. Um, I was a player up for nine years and Andrew Whitworth was a player up for the Bengals. And I remember just hanging out with him, talking to him. I'm like, dude, what a good dude. I, I used to call him bull Hurley because he looks like bull from over the top. He does. Um, but like just so happy for him and to be playing left tackle at 40 years old. I mean, look, Ray Lewis played, you know, late into his career, Tom Brady at 44, but not in the trenches, not doing what he was doing. So for him to be able to do it. And he basically slept in his bed the entire week because he's at home. Um, I mean, I don't know. We've seen Ray Lewis right off into the sunset. Jerome Bettis did Michael Strahan did, uh, but riding off in the sunset in your house, in your own stadium, winning the Super Bowl, that's pretty impressive. Um, I will say this. I felt bad for him the very first drive of the game. Trey Hendrickson gets the sack. And I'm like, no, I'm like, was, was he late off the ball? What was going on? And I know people were probably like, oh my gosh, Whitworth got beat right away. It's going to be a long day. The running back, K Makers, ran into him. So on the very first drive of the Super Bowl, Whitworth coming off, coming off the, 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 the field into the sideline. And it's like, hey, what happened? What happened? I'm like, dude, the freaking running back runs into me. And I give up a sack in the Super Bowl. So I'm covering for my boy right there. He didn't get beat. It wasn't his fault. Um, that, that to me was phenomenal. What a, what a week for him. Walter Payton, man of the year, gives a phenomenal speech and then gets the trophy as well. So uh, awesome, awesome story. For the Rams, they, they were assembling the team as the season went along, right? Vaughn Miller, OBJ, and you mentioned Weddle. Weddle been on the team for, what, eight weeks? Not only did he play in the Super Bowl, um, but after the championship game, you know, they wanted to see how he'd hold up. Hey, you know, are you going to make it through? McVay comes to him. We had him on Good Morning Football this morning, actually. And he talked about McVay Keenan and said, hey, you know what? I just want to make sure everything is, is kosher. Like, we have no miscommunications. You're going to wear the green dot for the Super Bowl. Like, Weddle's been on the team for eight weeks, and all of a sudden they're giving you the green dot, uh, which the green dot on the helmet means you're getting the play call from the defensive coordinator, and you're going to right. disseminate that information to the rest of the players. Uh, what an unbelievable responsibility and an honor to do that. And, you know, to his point, it was, you know what, I felt great about it because I knew that I was never going to be that guy, like kind of looking at the other guy, like, I thought you had him. I thought you had him. Where'd you go? Because of a miscommunication. I'm like, as long as I know what's going on, I can get, get everybody else on the same page. Um, I thought that was phenomenal. And then, as you mentioned, he, he tears his peck and he goes to the salon and he's like, tape it up, like put the harness on. And he plays the rest of the game with basically one arm and, you know, you could see it as the game went on. He's going up making tackles with one arm. He, he can't really use it. And he's like, hey, you know what? This is the way to go out. So uh, that was pretty, pretty damn cool. Yeah. MJD said the same thing. Weddle coming back after two years off to play like he did and be thrust into that position with the green dot where he had to relay the yeah. calls from the sideline into the guys and call the defenses himself. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, the phenomenal. Super Bowl. I'll, I'll sprinkle one other thing in there. You sure. know, I'm sure you talked about Matt Stafford, Cooper, Cooper Cup, unbelievable season. And I talked about this on Good Morning Football this morning, but Cooper Cup had the best season in the history of the game for a wide receiver. 
And I think when you look at it, how many times have we seen a receiver start off great? First eight, nine weeks, say midway point of the season, who's your MVP? Man, this receiver's having a great year. And then they kind of fizzle out. Like the last four or five games of the season, teams are taking them away and they disappear. Cooper Cup never disappeared. I mean, the last four games of the season, he had like, he was, it'd be like 150 yards receiving every single game. The Bucks game, he showed up last play of the game, boom, runs through the blitz coverage, big play. Super Bowl, big play, fourth down, fourth and one, boom, got it, touchdown at the end of the game to, to, to get, take the lead. So Cooper Cup, like, did not disappear. And I'm looking, at that, I'm like, man, the best season ever by a wide receiver. And then you look back at like, what's the second best year by a receiver ever? It's Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson. All right. What's the common denominator here? It's Matthew Stafford. Stafford's uh, like, God, yeah. I've seen this. I've seen this movie before. Uh, you know, so it's almost like, man, maybe we're not giving Stafford enough credit. The best season ever by a wide receiver was Stafford throwing the ball to Calvin Johnson. And then now all of a sudden Cooper Cup has this year. And what's the common denominator? It's Matthew Stafford slinging him in the rock. 21 total games, right, including the postseason. He only went under 90 receiving yards twice in 21 games. That, that's how consistent Cooper Cup was. Yeah. Uh, it, it, was it was absolutely amazing. Overall, 178 catches, 2,425 yards and 22 touchdowns in four postseason games and 17 regular season games. The touchdowns are remarkable, right? Like, like you think about Julio Jones, and it'd be like, all right, for anybody that plays fantasy football, they're like, man, Julio's good. He's unbelievable. But, like, when you get to the red zone, the guy disappears. He's like Houdini. And that's 22 touchdowns. I mean, those statues rattle off. Receivers would be happy if they said that was two seasons combined. Well, it's just, you know, it's interesting because he's not – Calvin Johnson in terms of size. He's not Jamar Chase uh, or Tyreek Hill in terms of speed, you know, he's, but he's not that like when you think, Oh yeah, he's the little white guy in the slot running around like Julian Edelman and Danny Amendola. He's not that guy either. Right. Yeah. He, he's six two. He's about 210, 212 pounds. He's fast enough. He's football fast. And he just gets open you can't, Cover the dude. It, it's amazing. You know, one of the things that Keeb Talib said, uh, I, I called the game with him for Fox last year, and he played with Cooper Cup with the Rams. And he said, he's just, he's bigger than you think he is, right? When you go out there and you find, and you guard him in practice, he's bigger than you think he is. And he goes, I, he's, he's almost uncoverable. Like the guy is just impossible because the way he runs his routes. Yeah. He's bigger than you think. He's faster than you think. And then right. to your point, look at that last drive. The Bengals were, I mean, they were mugging them. <laughs> the linebackers are grabbing them. The safeties are grabbing them. They're trying to hold them. I mean, it was like three penalties on that final drive. I thought you were going to give us a deceptively fast for the uh, for the white wide receiver. The, you know, the sneaky athletic, the Mayock is. <laughs> right. What is a sneaky athletic? What does that mean? <laughs> uh, Super Bowl parade out here in L.A. yesterday. The booze was flowing. Um Stafford with his 1942 Les Snead wearing a t-shirt with his own face on it, which made me laugh, you know, McVeigh getting Aaron Donald to say he would run it back. Take, take me back to post Super Bowl 42. That of course was when you guys uh, took down the previously undefeated Patriots, kept them from having the perfect season. It was a Tyree helmet catch. It was the Burris TD. You guys were 12 point dogs. Um, after the game, what was the Super Bowl party like initially before we get to the parade? What do you remember most from that night? 
Yeah. What's interesting, Dan, is is leading up to the Super Bowl, like you go over every minutia of leading up to the game. Like, all right, we're, we, you know, you walk through the pregame routine. Here's what's here's what's going to be. Here's, you know, here's our meetings. We go through in practice game situations. Here's how it's going to be once we come out as a team. You got the national anthem. You've got the, you know, God bless America. You've got all these things going on. But nobody ever talks about after the game. Like there is no plan. There is no like, hey, by the way, guys, after the game, you know, if we win, we're going to do this. If you lose, you do this. Like nobody wants to jinx it. Nobody wants to talk about it. So there is no communication whatsoever. Literally after the game ends, the confetti's coming out. It's pandemonium. Like it's like a free for all. Every man for themselves, and people are running around like, hey, do this, hey, there, get your family. Like I found my wife. She she ran on the field. Then I got my family, and you're just hanging out on the field. And like the presentation comes out, the trophy comes out. Like there's nobody saying, hey, everybody in the locker room now. So you just kind of you're just on your own. And then I remember getting on the bus finally after you get out of the locker room and, you know, you have the media obligations and everybody does their thing. Everybody gets on the, on the bus and everybody's checking their phone. 130 voicemails, 400 oh. is like literally like high school friends you haven't heard from college buddies, guys you play with in the league, guys you play with like everybody that has your number is texting you like, holy SHIT, WTF, I can't believe it. Like it's, it's unbelievable the uh, outpour of support and messages that you get from people. Um, that's pretty cool. And it takes you a week just to kind of get through everything and, and try to respond to people. But, you know, so you, we get on the bus and we're going back to the hotel and it's like, all right, Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Should we, you want to come to my room? You want to go to your room? Like we're talking about hanging out in the room because nobody tells us there's a party. We show up to the hotel and we've got a police escort and we still can't even get into the hotel because there's just so many damn cars. And like they're ushering away, we've got the team here. And all I remember is pulling up and there's hundreds of people standing outside the hotel, just going nuts. Like, I mean, just throwing stuff, like cheering, jumping around. And we're like, oh shit, this is about to get lit. <laughs> and I walk off the bus, I'm two steps off the bus and Heineken's are just being passed. Like Heineken's are crowd surfing. And I'm like, boom, one to the face, <laughs> one, to, one, to, one to keep walking. And I, I don't think I put the Heineken down for the next couple hours, but, um, it was really cool. Apparently somebody played, there was a band there to play it. I don't remember it, but you kind of get into the hotel and you start walking around and like, you know, your family's there and you're hanging out with them and then everybody else's family's there and you're trying to, you know, hug your teammates and your coaches and, you know, the whole staff, it's not just the players and the coaches, like it's the equipment staff, it's the trainers, it's everybody that had a hand in it is there celebrating and the owners are just, you know, reveling in it all. So, um, that, that part of it's pretty cool. Um, you know, and then you, I finally got to my hotel room probably around like 4am. Um, and uh, at like midnight, you know, Peter John Baptiste, our PR guy comes up and he goes, Hey, uh, ESPN, you know, wants to know if, you, if you'll do an interview with them, uh, tomorrow morning. I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. They're like, yeah, the only problem was it's, um, you know, it's like, it's at 9am East coast time. And I'm like, oh, when you were in Scottsdale. We're in Arizona. I'm like, uh, so what time is that? He's like, yeah, it's uh, it's 7 a.m. here. So I'm like, out. <laughs> so like, I'm in my room at four o'clock and I'm setting three alarms because I'm like, I don't, I don't want to oversleep this. But uh, hell yeah, I turned on the TV and that was the first time I saw the Tyree catch. They're playing oh, really? Highly. Yeah, because we're on the field and we didn't really get a chance to see everything was going on. We're, I'm, I'm yelling, Eli, come on, get to the line, let's run a play because I thought they were going to challenge it. We ended up calling a timeout because we were, um, you know, we were discombobulated with the personnel and we were going to get a delay of game. So I never really saw the play. 
And I'll never forget. It's like 4 a.m. They started off. They show the play. And I'm like, holy effing, you know what? He caught it against his helmet. Like, I, I didn't even know that. So I'm texting all the guys. I'm like, did you see this catch by Tyree? Like, he pinned it against his helmet. Like, I thought he just caught it. Uh, it, it was remarkable. And at 4.30 in the morning, we're all texting about the game. And, oh, my gosh, it was unbelievable. So uh, two hours of sleep, yeah, I uh, I represented on ESPN, and, and it was glorious. Um, but then, then you get back, you get on the plane, you fly back. Tuesday, you have to come in. You've got to do an exit physical. Um, everybody's got to get all your stuff. They have a guy that walks around, like it looks like he's holding a janitor's keychain, and it's right. a big metal loop, and it's got all these rings on it. And he goes, he's, he has to go up to every single player and size you for your ring. That's nice. kind of cool. That's when it kind of hits you. You're like, oh man, we get a ring. Like, so it's like, hey, figure out what size, you know, what finger you want. Are you going to size it? Um, and then they're like, hey guys, we got the parade. The parade is, uh, you know, it's tomorrow. Or, um, and you're like, parade like yeah it's february it's where new york city like what like 50 people gonna show up ellie we're on the bus a couple guys brought some cocktails and we're just hanging out when we got on the broadway we got made a turn onto the street that we were gonna go down and when we all saw the sea of people lining both sides of the street there was an audible gasp on the bus i don't think anybody knew the magnitude uh, of support and and the the outcry of people that were going to be out there on the streets in New York City and it's cold you know it's not like LA where I mean where everybody's taking their shirts off um, you know I mean it, it was it, it was an unbelievable display of love and support from Giants fans that you never even knew uh, existed and it, it was to this day I get goosebumps thinking about it um, as I reflect back on on that moment and and to share it with friends and family was was really cool. That's so awesome, buddy. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing those stories. I didn't realize we talked about this a lot before over the years working together. I did not realize that um, the first time you saw the Tyree helmet catch was at four in the morning uh, after you were a few yeah. cocktails in getting ready to do, getting ready yeah. to do an ESPN hit. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, you, when you're playing the game, you almost don't really know. And, and actually, Eli's got a funny story about this because he's like, he's like, I have a rule of my receivers. Like, and he, he this is his words. He's like, don't lie to me. Like if I throw you a pass and it's like review, like there's a question, like, did you catch it? Did you not catch it? When you come back and I say, Hey, did you catch it? Like, don't lie to me. Don't be like, yeah, I caught it. And the ball clearly bounced three times before it got to you. Like, right. I don't, I got to think about the next play and the timeout. So don't lie to me. You can like sell it to everybody else. But he said like when Tyree came back, you know, after that play got up to him, he's like, did you catch it? And Tyree's like, yeah, I caught it. He's like, I kind of had to go, I had to believe him. I had to trust him, but I don't think he saw the, the magnitude of the catch until he saw the, the highlight. That's so awesome. All right, man. We'll stay, stay warm out there on the East coast. Uh, I guess you got another day or two of uh, good morning football this week and I will, uh, I will give you a shout soon. All right. Thanks. Ellie. Beer soon, bro. We got to hang for sure, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. All right, bro.